Live from Earth, it's Space Radio. This is Paul Sutter with my fantastic, my favorite co-host, Fraser Kane. Say hi to everyone, Fraser. Hey, everybody. And today, we are in the Monteverde Cloud Forest of Costa Rica on another wonderful AstroTour adventure. And we are taking questions, not from listeners. No, this show isn't for you. This show is about the AstroTours who are in this room right now. Say hello to everyone. (laughs) Uh, But first, the news. Hey, space fans, welcome to Space Radio. I'm Paul Sutter, astrophysicist at Ohio State. For the next half hour, your agent to the stars. Such a special show for you today on Space Radio, where we talk about all the beautiful things in this universe. This show lives on listener questions, but you don't get to ask questions today because I am in the Monteverde Cloud Forest of Costa Rica. I am in a room. There is wind blowing <laughs> through the blinds. The, like, this is crazy. Like, it sounds like there's this massive storm. We're which safe. The, we're okay. We're, we're totally safe, we promise. The voice you just heard was the fabulous Fraser Kane. Hello, everybody, again. Again, you say hello a bunch of times. It's okay. Okay, all right. We're just going to keep great people <laughs> the entire stop. show long. <laughs> the entire show. And, of course, some of my new best friends. <laughs> wow, that was really weak. Some of my new, <laughs> some of my new best friends. <laughs> That's right. Let's wake up this whole hotel. Uh, Fraser, you've got a question for me to get this show started. So just, what is it? What, right. So, so... It has been brought to my attention that as you get some Einstein guy or something, as you get closer and closer to the speed of light, time changes from your perspective. And as you get closer and closer, as you approach the speed of light, it gets weirder and weirder. What is the experience of time from the perspective of a photon that's actually going the speed of light. Right, right, right. So, so the, the maxim here, like the, the key phrase you want to keep in your head is that moving clocks run slow. The faster you move in space, the slower you move in time. As you speed up, as you move faster and faster and through space, your rate of travel through time slows down. Your internal clock is slower compared to every other clock in the universe. So it's natural to think, what if you went all the way? Because this gets worse and worse the closer and closer you get to the speed of light. What if you went all the way to the speed of light, like light does? Which we know you can't. You can't, you can't, unless you're I can't, you can't. I tried. Yeah. I tried. I sprained (laughs) my back. It was just a mess. Yeah. Six-week recovery. But light is massless. It can just go. So what's its rate of travel through time? Here's the thing. That sounds like a question that should have an answer. Like, okay, the closer you get to the speed of light, the slower your rate of travel through time. So at the speed of light, you should not travel through time at all. It should be instantaneous. But it doesn't quite work that way. It doesn't quite work that way because the mathematical relationship. So we understand this through special relativity, Einstein's special relativity. We sure do. We, we totally, we all understand. I'm just explaining things that we things already we understand. Already yeah, yeah. Preaching to the choir. Yeah. And the mathematical relationship that tells us about this connection between space and time, that the faster you move in space, the slower you move in time, doesn't apply at light speed. 
It doesn't apply at light speed. It like, applies light. at everything below light speed. Right. But not at light speed itself. At the speed of light, the fundamental mathematical relationships break down. They don't work. They're silent. This relationship between time and space only applies below the speed of light. At the speed of light, you can't even formulate the question of how long does it take for a photon to travel from one place to another in its own reference frame because there is no reference frame for something traveling at the speed of light. That whole framework only applies below the speed of light. And so, I mean, if I just take the equations, which again, we've said we all have in front of us and we're all quite familiar oh, with we, them. I mean, we just spit them out right now, right guys? Right. It, it yeah, that you heard that. Yeah, yeah, something or other. We'll edit that in yeah, later. Yeah, um, that if I just punch in the numbers, won't the equations give me an answer, or will it just go like, "That was a nonsense question. Please don't ask it again." If you actually punch in the numbers into the equation, you get a nonsense result. Things cancel out. Things can you get like one over zero, like like things blow up. It right. doesn't make any sense anymore. The right. equations literally break down. It doesn't mean that the equations are, are broken. It means this relationship that we understand through the equations only applies in a certain regime, and that regime is slower than the speed of light. Right. And so it's it's kind of like asking what's more north than north, right? Like at a certain yeah. point you've reached north yeah and now you pick can't... a point one mile north of the north pole right just because you can formulate the question doesn't mean there there is an answer right right and so if my instinct is to say light experiences no time photons experience zero time that's not right either because again we are outside the realm of of just when this question matters exactly it's not that photons experience no time it's that photons don't even have a conception of time. What we understand as time through special relativity simply doesn't apply to objects traveling at the speed of light. Right. And then like even faster than the speed of light, forget about well, it. Well, we're just not even going to go there. Right. We're right, just right, not, that's right. not, don't, don't get, don't, just stop. Just stop. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. <laughs> all right. So that was a great question. So now we're going to take questions from the gang here. Come on up, dude. And then both Fraser and I are going to answer it. I am Jim and Jim from both Phoenix and Henderson, Nevada. I'll explain later. Okay. I wanted to come because I love traveling with you guys. Aww. And I always like to hear things. We love traveling with you too. Good. All right. What's your question? All right. How fast did the universe expand during the period of inflation after the Big Bang? And for how long did it expand at that rate? Mm. Okay, so, so we're talking about the very early universe, super early universe, this period in the early universe that we don't fully understand, but we're pretty sure happened, something we call inflation. In the period of inflation, it got started when the universe was around 10 to the minus 35 seconds old. That's 0.000035 That about then, it lasted for around 10 to the minus 30 seconds, somewhere around there. We're not exactly sure, details are sketchy. And in that brief instant, the universe expanded from about the size of an atomic nucleus to about the size of like an apple. And that doesn't sound like much, but that's something like 10 to the 50 orders of magnitude over the course of 10 to the minus 30 seconds. So that's 
fast. Is that fast enough for you? Yeah, it's fast enough for me. So I'm going to make this question harder. Again, as we all know and all understand, the whole point of inflation is to help explain a bunch of problems with the Big Bang. The original about, Big Bang model. With the original Big Bang model, that, that the temperatures seem too close together, even though they shouldn't have been able to communicate their temperature and things like that. So is that rate, is that what they expected that it actually happened? Or is that sort of the minimum speed and the minimum time to produce the kind of universe that we have, but it could have been more and it could have been faster? Right, so that that's a, you're exactly right. So this rate of something like 10 to the 50 times larger over this amount of time is the minimum necessary to generate the universe as we understand it. It could go bigger. It could have been a little bit faster. It couldn't have been slower because then you start to mess up uh, known physics that happens after that. You start to mess up the formation of the, the elements. But that does set a minimum. Okay. Of, of, of the speed. Yes, exactly. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much for that question. Great. Thank you. All right. Our next question is right up here by the microphone. Tell everyone who you are, where you're from, and why you wanted to come to Costa Rica. Hi, I'm Wesley from Iowa. I came here for, one, the weather, which is much warmer than uh, <laughs> Iowa, and two, to make my uh, meet uh, in person, Paul and Fraser on this wonderful astro tour uh, all week. And here we are. Never been right to Costa Rica here. as well, yeah. By the way, uh, audience listening at home, we're recording this in my hotel room. Right. And so, so you, are, you are as intimate with me this is as, awesome. as, yeah. as, so, some of as the my audience. manager will allow. Yeah. Some of the audience is sitting like, on your bed. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah we would have like 17, 18, 19 people here. So yeah, this, is, this is a great party. It's this good small group. It's okay, so what's your question, man? Well, um, expanding on that question from Jim. Why is it that in the early universe, all matter was jammed into a, together into a very, very, very small area? Mm-hmm. Why didn't that result in a single giant black hole rather than a scattering of matter and energy as we have now? Oh, that is a really, really fun question. It's a very common question yeah. uh, because you think of black holes as, oh, if I take a bunch of stuff crush. and put it in crush it in a small volume, instant yeah. black hole. Do you want to hear something even weirder? No. If you take all of the mass of the observable universe and it would essentially create a black hole with a event horizon of the size of the observable universe. You did not go there. Oh did God. you just repeat that? Yeah. <laughs> Haven't it? we talked about this no. like years ago? No, no. Years ago, Fraser. We t- I did a video for you. <laughs> I thought I had it from you. <laughs> yeah. No, it's okay, okay, but first but first we gotta take a break. All right. So we're gonna resolve all, right. all this all right. tension after the right. break. I'm Paul Sutter. I'm Fraser Kane. And this is Space Radio. We are recording in the Monteverde Cloud Forest of Costa Rica with some of my new best friends. Yeah. This show is brought to you by Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash pmsutter to learn how you can support the show. And I will see you after the break. Support for Space Radio on 90.5 WCBE comes from Thompson Hine, a business law firm serving clients for more than a century. Thompson Hine provides innovative client service through SmartPath, a smarter way to work, predictable, efficient, and aligned with client goals. More information about the firm at thompsonhine.com. 
Welcome back, everyone. I'm Paul Sutter, and this is Space Radio. We've got this fun question about the early universe and black holes. Then Fraser just had to add another layer of nonsense on yep. top of that. So uh, let's disentangle. So a black hole, you cram a bunch of stuff in a very small volume, boom, black hole. But to make a black hole, you have to make a difference in density. You have to take a whole bunch of stuff and cram it into a small volume while leaving a bunch of empty patches around it. You need high density to make a black hole. And it needs to be different than everything around it. That's the ingredients necessary to make a black hole. In the early universe, the early universe was very, very, very high density. But it was very uniform throughout the universe. There weren't any density differences. There weren't any little pockets here and there. And so you have a situation where instead of you're cramming a bunch of stuff in a small volume and leaving a void or a vacuum around it, you have a whole bunch of stuff that's filling all of space simultaneously, and that's a different physics system. It's a different scenario. That leads to an expansion, that leads to a Big Bang, that does not lead to the formation of a black hole. Black holes are born from density differences, not just absolute density. Now, what Fraser mentioned was this curious mathematical relationship where if you took the mass of the universe and squeezed it down to form a black hole, it would end up having a radius the size of the universe. So this comes about because black holes are round and governed by gravity. The universe is round-ish in a certain sense. A the certain, observable universe. The observable universe yeah. is round and governed by gravity. And so there certain mathematics will appear in both scenarios. It is a complete and total coincidence. Yes. It's just an artifact yeah. of the mathematics. Well, yeah, and the, I guess the point being that the actual universe is could be infinite and is definitely way way larger than the universe that we can our see observable our patch. observable universe yeah, so exactly. it's just a coincidence that's where i was going yeah so, totally you know, yeah i'm sorry i cut the, you i cut you off notes, to notes, go to totally the break. Fine. yeah make, make it look like i was a you know that i hadn't listened <laughs> to that show that we did together like two years ago, two years ago. <laughs> um, but there is i've got one more kind of interesting quirk i want to throw on yeah, top yeah, of this, go for it is that you say that you, the universe was uniform and of uniform density but that's not entirely true right it was slightly different density yes yes it was it was uniform density to something like one part in uh 10,000 no 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 at this stage at this stage even early in the universe it's something like one part in a billion absolutely uniform there are tiny little differences here that actually started in inflation and will eventually grow to become stars and galaxies and the entire cosmic web. But at this stage, there, yeah, you're right. There were density differences, but they were very, very, very tiny. Not enough to trigger the formation of a black hole. But possibly to be dense enough to create smaller mass black holes in local areas. There are some uh, models of the early universe, you're absolutely right, where you can get little little tiny fluctuations that trigger the formation of a small-ish black hole, like 50 or 100 times the mass of the sun. And this would absolutely flood the entire universe with black holes, which was an early or a potential candidate for the existence of dark matter. That, no, no, there's not dark matter, it's not exact particle, there's just a whole bunch of black holes left over from the early universe. But 
if you start putting a bunch of black holes in the early universe, then that starts affecting observations of things we can see from the early universe, like the cosmic microwave background. And we don't see any evidence for the existence of these black holes in the observations that we, we have a handle on. So it's not 100% ruled out, but it's not really favored because there's no strong evidence for it. Great follow-up, and thank you thank for the you. question. We've got another question ready to go. Tell everyone who you are, where you're from. I'm Adam from Dallas, Texas, and I came to Costa Rica because I've always wanted to come here because of their ecological sense and wanting to protect the environment. And this trip came up on AstroTourist, and so I was really excited about yes. it. Yes. What are you curious about today? My question is, um, I think... Maybe I misunderstand, but they say the universe is 90 billion light years across, but it's only 13 billion years old. So how do you square that? How, how, how do you square that? Was it like, like, did we like miss like a square root or something? Right. Or, you know, right. Forgot to carry the two, which right. always happens. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Yeah. So our, our observable universe, the observable patch of our universe is about 90 billion light years across. Uh, which So it has a radius of about 45 billion light years. Uh, but our universe is 13.8 billion years old. So how can our universe, the edge of our observable universe, be farther than the speed of light times the age of the universe? That's your question. The answer is the universe expands faster than the speed of light. But you can't just let Paul say this stuff nothing, to your face and not... Question. Nothing it, travels faster than the speed of deeper. light. You're nothing right. Can travel nothing can travel faster than the speed of light. Nothing exactly. can go faster except than the, for the speed Millennium Falcon. of light. But, <laughs> except for the Millennium Falcon, I remember that. So that's different, though. Because of, they had the... Never mind. Um, <laughs> the Kessel Run? They, they did the Kessel Run. Um, so, so here's the thing. You're right. Nothing can travel faster than the speed of light. But where does that sentence come from? Where does that sentence come from? Pop quiz, hot shots. Uh, e equals mc squared. E equals know. mc squared. This yeah. is special relativity. Mm-hmm. Special right. relativity. Yeah, we mentioned that earlier. We've all we're all we're all experts today. at special relativity. <laughs> right. Um, special relativity is a local law of physics, or I also say it's a law of local physics. It means if something's buzzing by you, right in front of your nose. You will never, ever, ever see it go by your face faster than the speed of light. Ever. But for something far away on the far side of the universe, special relativity doesn't apply. It's outside of its domain. There's two ways to to think about this. They're both perfectly valid in the mathematics, so I'll give you both. One way to look at it is that Okay, if an object's on the far side of the universe, it's not local, it's far away, special relativity doesn't apply, and it can have any speed it wants. It can violate, it can go faster than the speed of light, it doesn't matter, because special relativity doesn't care about things that are really far away. Another way to say it is that the word speed, the word velocity, only applies to your local environment. You can only ever attach a speed or a velocity to something close to you. If something's far away, the word speed, the word velocity doesn't even make sense anymore. We do have a language for understanding motions of objects far away. It's not special relativity. 
It's general, general relativity. relativity. And general relativity says something on the far side of the universe can do whatever it wants. But what if you're on the far side of the universe? So if I'm at the far <laughs> side of the universe, so I'm in, I'm in my, we're at the center of our observable patch of the universe. It looks like every galaxy is flying away from us. Mm-hmm. But if I were to travel to one of those galaxies, I would be in the center of that patch. And I would see every galaxy receding away from me and i could pick another galaxy on the edge of that observable patch and in that galaxy i would appear to be at the center of my observable patch with every galaxy receding away from me in an expanding universe which is the one we live in every galaxy recedes away from every other galaxy there is no center to the expansion there is no edge to the expansion just everything's getting further apart that is a great question we've got time for maybe one more, or Fraser, if you would like to add some colorful commentary to my response. I do have sort of one thing, but I guess you sort of covered it, which is just this, this idea that, say, the laws of thermodynamics say that uh, in a set area, was it like nothing can be created or destroyed, but outside, uh, but only in a specific constrained area? So it's like, does this apply to that? That if, as long as you're outside of your local area, then you don't have to worry about that anymore. All laws of physics, or, or all, all, all of our understanding of physics, comes with caveats and like uh, boundary regions. Like special relativity only applies to local, and, and local is defined in the theory, so we know what that means. The laws of thermodynamics only applies to systems in equilibrium. If you're not in equilibrium, you have a different set of laws that are actually somewhat poorly understood. Uh, general relativity only applies in the limit of relatively weak gravity. If you get strong gravity at small scales, the theory breaks down. It doesn't give you results. So every set of physics equations also tells you where it applies, what its domain is, of where it's valid. And that's what matters. Right. Um, like, a question that I, I don't know how much time you've got. we got about a minute. Okay, great. So a question that I get is, like, like, will the amount of matter in the universe remain the same into the future? And as matter can potentially turn into energy and, and vice versa, and as the universe is expanding, will the total amount of matter and energy in the universe remain the same? Right, right. Good question. So that uh, right now, as of today... The total amount of matter in the universe is fixed and its density is dropping as the universe expands. But the total amount of energy in the universe continues to grow. And this is because of dark energy. So dark energy is something in the vacuum of space-time itself. If you have more vacuum, you have more empty space, you have more vacuum energy, you have more dark energy. So the total amount of energy of the universe grows with time. But the total amount of matter stays fixed, and so its density is dropping. That might change in the future if dark energy does something weird. It might transform itself into a bunch of matter. Who knows? Well, we don't understand enough about dark energy yet. And unfortunately, this broadcast is almost done. Thank all of you in this room. 
<laughs> Pura Vida, right. And special thanks to Fraser Kane for joining me. Thank you so much. On this voyage of space radio. Once again, I'm Paul Sutter, and this show is brought to you by the Ohio State University Department of Astronomy. Learn more at astronomy.osu.edu. This show is also brought to you by you. Go to patreon.com slash pmsutter to learn how you can contribute. Thanks to Greg Mobius for producing, Dan Michalko for being awesome, and all the fine crew at WCBE Radio for making this show possible. Visit spaceradioshow.com for links to live streams, a place where you can ask questions, all the good stuff. And of course, thanks again, Earthlings, for listening. See you next week. And remember, science is for sharing. End of transmission. <laughs> <laughs>